Crash Chords Podcast. I am Steven. And I am Douglas. It's been a while, Doug, but we're back here in this hot seat again doing another episode of our good old podcast, the Crash Chords Podcast, where we mm-hmm. dig deeper into music analyses by album. Yeah, it's it has been a while. Like I want to say the last update here was, what, July or something? I think so. When, uh, so yeah, it's, with it's, the, it's been a while. The 250th episode, you know, when we, we gave, you know, there was some good thought given as to, you know, what defines, you know, good analyses and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. If I do say so myself, an extremely engaging conversation. Yeah, this is this uh, podcast we do, it's pretty ace. It is the ace. Pretty top stellar notch. <laughs> I can't think of another podcast that comes even remotely close only one that I can think of. Really? Yeah. Uh, is, 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 which podcast is I, that? Is, I don't remember. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> is it the Cracked Podcast? Because mm, I don't know. That one's pretty good. But yeah. it's not, not quite. It's not, they don't need to talk about music, though. So we're basically the most important music podcast on the internet. I think so. Hey, did you know that uh, March the 23rd, so like just mm-hmm. uh, just over a week ago, Damon Albarn turned 50 years old. Oh, good for him. Yeah, 50 years old. One of the... Arguably one of the most influential influential contributors to pop music, certainly in the UK. Hmm. Certainly in the yeah. UK. I think, you know, and a significant international splash. Significant. You know, after all, like, gorillas were, weren't just a UK thing. They, they, they went all around the world. The, the gorillas are a mainstream uh, landmark, I'd say. Very, very true. They're also massive in the UK, but Blur was a huge, huge act in the yeah. UK. Never quite gained, gained a lot of steam here. So, I mean, like, for, for as significant as he is over here, I mean, like, he, he's a hell of a force to be reckoned with in the UK. And 50 years old. I mean, good Lord. Wow, don't I feel old. Whew. Well, I mean, not as old as, no, not as, old as he does, I guess. Mm. Touche. Touche. Or maybe he still feels young at heart. Yeah, he, he might live forever. Yeah. He might live forever. Yeah. So, let's talk a bit about Back. Doug? Yeah, Beck. Just as a, as a bit of background, I think it's no surprise that Beck was also a hugely, hugely influential figure in pop music. Certainly, if you were listening to the radio in the mid-90s, you couldn't get away from Loser. Oh, yeah. And not, let's not forget um, that one of the classic albums, like when Leo looked back at alternative rock albums mm-hmm. of the 90s, one of the benchmark uh, albums is Odelay. Odelay. Odelay was huge. It was yeah. huge. You couldn't you couldn't get away with it. People like people would hear Devil's Haircut and be like, "What the hell is he talking about?" Nah, or the New know. Pollution. What the hell is he talking about? I don't know, but this song sounds great. And actually, to be honest, to this day, New Pollution is one of my favorite songs by him. But I mean, like, dude just kept on going and kept on kept on reinventing himself. There was never really a genre I feel mm-hmm. that Beck would tie himself into. Dabble with electronica, with folk, with rock. With, uh, uh, like, good lord, Midnight Vultures with 70 Psychedelia. Mm-hmm. Midnight Vultures, also great album. Yeah, um, I have had a sort of, I have an up and down relationship with Beck, mm. musically speaking. Um, and that it really changes from album to album how much I'm enjoying myself with his music. 
Of course, I do love Odelay like everyone else. Uh, you know, like, well, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak for every single human being. Oh, no, I, I'm pretty sure every human mm-hmm. being who is alive now and has ever lived likes at least one song off of Odelay. I'm certain of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. There were certain albums where he got a little more like slow and contemplative. That like some of them just didn't really capture my attention. Although. To be fair, I feel like I never really gave them the time that maybe I should have. Like, there's mm. certain albums that you kind of feel like this could be more rewarding if I put more energy into it, but I ne- I didn't put in the energy. But anytime he got more psychedelic, anytime that he got more really diverse and upbeat, and and was uh, like it, it, well through well through Wero and the information, that's where I kind of like found my stride and really and really enjoyed like what Beck had to offer. I'm going to 100% agree. Uh, Albums like uh, Sea Change and Mutations, they are very critically acclaimed albums, but I I never, also, never really gave them the opportunity, never really, because they're a little more slow and contemplative, Mm -hmm. and there's so much back out there that I do love, that I'd just be like, eh, skip. Yeah, after uh, Modern Guilt, it seemed like Beck took a really long break, and we didn't really hear much from him, except for this weird... um, fascinating album he released that was just released as sheet music you remember that that (laughs) i remember i remember um yeah and then but there was no proper like regular old-fashioned studio album until i want to say it was 2014 was it phases yeah more morning phase sorry yeah well and and i just want to say for the record as well like i was all about wero when that came out and Mm -hmm. people were just like ah beck's making a comeback no 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 beck never left Sea, like I said, Sea Change, which was critically acclaimed, came out only a couple years prior before that. Uh, I think the difference is, is that Wero, he, with that single E-Pro, he just soared like in, in back into the public, uh, public sphere and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he really carried that momentum, I think. Because um, I, I, the information was, what, the next year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the information was also a great, great album. And then, but unfortunately, like, the, the momentum only carried him so far. E-Pro was his highest rated single up until very, very recently. And Modern Guilt barely charted, really? It didn't yeah. even get, get gold certification, which which for a Becca album is very unusual. With, uh, which yeah, is strange, because Modern Guilt I thought, thought was awesome. It was a great album. That's really, really uh, great moments. Uh, nice collaboration with Danger Mouse. Uh, I'm actually surprised it didn't do that well, because for me, at the time, it seemed like it just seemed like an album that was on a lot of people's radar. But maybe just like kind of within the circles that I was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you're correct. There was the whole sheet music experiment, Beck doing what Beck does. And then Morning Phase, which which a lot of people really, really liked. That's where he won uh, He won this Grammy, didn't he? Yes, he did. The, oh, yes. That's, that's with the, right. the controversial uh, Kanye West moment. <laughs> where he, one of like, many. One, uh, yeah, with, with the... Wait a minute. Is Kanye being Kanye? Is he being funny? And we don't really know. <laughs> Even to this day, it's a little, little ambiguous as to uh, you know what what is what is going on in the mind of Kanye West. I, I know I know for sure that Beck, you know, when he Kanye started to take the stage, and then he was like, nah, and then turn around and left. Beck was encouraging him to come back up. Like, ah, nah, nah, come on. Oh, Beck's been in the industry long enough that you know Beck can hold his own just fine. He's like, he's like. It may, maybe he'll say something really horrible about me, and it'll make my career take off like Taylor Swift's. <laughs> I'll get even bigger. <laughs> uh, absolutely, why not? <clears throat> um, yeah. um, what a what a puzzling puzzling situation. <laughs> but yeah, that's I guess that's where uh, where we uh, where we last heard Beck mm-hmm. until uh, October of just this last year. 
where he released his 13th album, Colors. And you were just telling me before we started recording that this uh, this was a, a Christmas gift for yeah, you? Uh, okay. uh, on, uh, yeah, that's Yeah, explain. Um, well, um, our youngest brother, mm. his name is Daniel. Mm-hmm. So the, there are more. There are more Fergusons out there, everyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, we're everywhere. <laughs> you, you can't get away from There's us. There's going to be more and more. More and more. Yeah, he, he's a big Beck fan. Uh, I think due to us. I think we got him Odelay. Um, and he, he just... he's actually a little more so than than I am for sure. He's definitely listened and been in, invested in far more Beck's albums than I have. Yeah, yeah. quite possibly. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, one of my Christmas was was uh, this album here, Colors on vinyl. So uh, Colors. I mean, first off, Beck album art tends to be. I don't know. He tends to be all over the place. Sometimes he's got some really interesting stuff going on with his albums, uh, album art. Other times, eh, you know, serviceable. Yeah, sometimes it's like just his face. And in this case, this is a, one of his just his face ones, but it's with some, you know, it's with got some colors color on it. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's got two versions of it. Although no, has... nothing will ever be t- the cover art for your, the information. Because uh, build your own cover art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the stickers and everything. Yeah, nothing will beat that. But in the meantime, this, this one's okay. It's serviceable. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's kind of a an interesting co- contrast to the previous album, Morning Phase, in that that one the, is like his face with like sort of a, a cool kind of sweeping effect, where this one is much more like blunt, where it's like his face and then a splotch of color and a splotch of other color, uh, blue and blue and yellow. Um, it just seems it just seems like an interesting interesting contrast. To me. It sets up what I feel the tone of the album to be, in that. This could have easily passed off as, like, say, a New Order album cover, or, uh, you know, or it's 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 very it's very stark and kind of eighties pop. Right. Yeah, I I think uh, it wouldn't be out of place with uh, even a, a Bowie cover album, to be honest. So, but yet it is still uniquely uniquely Beck in part because it's his face. Production uh, meant was uh, mainly with Beck himself, but also Greg Kirsten, and they did a lot of the recording at Kirsten's. At Kristen's residence, and Kristen did a, a lot of the instrumentation, but also for one track, uh, "Wow," which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, Cole MGN really did some of the production for that. Now, the reason why I really want to mention Cole MGN was because he used to be a part of Ariel Pink's Honda Graffiti. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious as to what more tracks with him would have sounded like. I like. Very interested, actually. Well, I mean, we'll obviously we'll get to some notes on Wow, the track he contributed contributed to later, but mm-hmm. it is one of the more unique entities on the album. Um, Greg Kirsten uh, has yeah. worked with a lot of pop and rock acts. A lot um, of them. A lot of them. Uh, took a few down. Sia, Kelly Clarkson, Pink, The Shins, Lily Allen. I mean, the list goes on. He's, well, he's worked with Foo tons. Fighters. You miss Foo Fighters. Uh, well, I ran out of room on my paper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to stick okay. it on one line. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, he. no, it's true. He's, he's worked with a lot of... Actually, you could just say pop acts in terms of acts that are popular. Yeah. You could say. True. So yeah. whether whether or not they're, they're rock like Foo Fighters or... Or dance like Sia or pop like Kelly Clarkson. The fact of the matter is, they're all very popular acts, and yeah. he's one of those. He's one of those guys who's got his fingers in everything, but you don't necessarily know who he is, right? No, he's a, yeah. A, a, he's probably he's probably doing very well for himself. Kind of a puppet master in the music industry, I'd say. You know, it must be nice as well to like yeah. be able to like honestly work on a lot of music, get paid to do it, um, and still be able to like. Walk down the street. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But as as usual, Beck does a lot of the production himself. A lot of the writing, a lot of the performing, 
Beck is a very hands-on artist when it comes to his stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but he also knows when there's instrumentation that he's, you know, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily as good as performing as others. So he will bring in other people to help perform. But he, he also seems to like to have his hands into some of the more um, unique sounds. Like, for example, on this album, he's listed as uh, in Glockenspiel and stuff like that, too. And I was actually listening listening for it. Um, I must have missed it, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Um, that actually... I can augment one of my notes because I know exactly where it is. Hmm. Cool. Thank you. No good. problem. Good to know where the Glockenspiel is. I had to go digging uh, through all music. So all music um, gives the, the concise listing of... Of uh, who plays what, who does what, etc., etc., etc. I guess let's go. Let's go straight into the album, which I had actually heard this song before. I think it was like, I feel like it was in a music store. I feel like it was Sunrise Records or something, and it was bloody catchy. And I thought it was, it was awesome. Oh, I can tell you exactly when. You were over at my place. I put on the record, and you were like, "What is this?" I must have one of the worst memories on the planet. I swear. I swear. <laughs> I swear. Uh, yeah, because I, I remember when you explain it like that, I'm like, hmm, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I was like, yeah, this is the new Beck. Mm-hmm. And you were, you seemed very interested. And then that's sort of actually why I kind of thought about choosing this album. Because, well, I guess I guess I just want to enable you to listen to it more, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. Because I, I, had, I had a feeling... Because you hadn't mentioned it since then, I had a feeling that you forgot. Because you have one of the worst memories on the planet. <laughs> that is 100% true. That is 100% true. What I like about Colors is that uh, Beck chooses to open his album immediately conveying that this is not Morning Face. Morning yeah. Face was a was a folk rock album. It was, it was contemplative. Uh, it's, it's apparently really good. But again, I must confess, I didn't, I didn't listen to it. I, I listened to it a little bit. And I was like, hmm, you know, I think I need I need to give this one my proper time and attention and not listen to it kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. Then I never did. <laughs> and this this was so good. This is so good at saying, boom, different album, different goal, different objective, different uh, different energy. This is an entirely different project. Very much the same as EPRO. When EPRO opened from mm-hmm. the get-go, yeah. bam! Like, right into it, saying this is an entirely new entity. And in fact, the lead single off of, off of this, just as, as an aside, Dreams, um, was the high, was Beck's highest charting single since EPRO. So, great way to great way to come back in, Beck. Great way to come back in. I, You know what's interesting, though? I almost feel like it's not a great choice for an opener. Really? At, at first glance, I thought it was. But then there's something very specific, a specific sound that the, that's, and the way that it comes in that I feel would have been stronger as a second track. Mm. Like to start, to, to start the album off a bit slowly, although I don't have a, there's no track in the track listing that I think I would nominate to be this opening track. Um, but to, dom- to start off with maybe something slower and something more interesting and then have this sort of like big takeoff moment, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's a takeoff moment that sort of needed to be earned. But it just, as it is, it's just sort of there. That being said, like I see why it's a choice because, uh, like I mean, I don't disagree with the notes that you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't bury the lead. It kind of it kind of displays what this album is right up front. But yeah, and also it's it's a very it is a very strong track and it's very memorable. It's the one that kind of uh, when every time I thought of the album, this is the the song that came to mind, um, and it sets the stage. It sets the stage one hundred percent for the album's tone and the sounds. There's tons of reverb. And like the reverb is like 
coating the vocals. Like just, just th- it's just thick with reverb. And also there's that cool pipe sound that I really like. Yeah, pan pipes. You might recognize them from uh, Men at Work. Use them occasionally. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering. I was wondering if they were like a, uh, actual pan pipes with just like. I'm gonna be uh-huh. honest. I don't think so because I didn't see okay. them credited. And now it's possible that all music didn't actually have all the information, but I did not see someone credited as performing pan pipes. I did, however, see a lot of people credited uh, based on the track for synth work. So it's possible so, it's a synth setting. Yeah, but in that case, it it, it sounded like it, it could have been pan pipes with like. Just tons of effects put on them. Sure, but uh, but regardless, I think it's a great sound and it really works well for the song. Beck's been known to sample as well. It could be a sample from something that that was panpiped and then, but I mean, I don't yeah, know. Who knows? Who, <laughs> who knows? If if all music can't provide me that answer, where am I supposed to turn to? The only answer is Beck himself. <laughs> Let's call him up. I feel in a lot of ways that this is uh, that the stage he's setting here is for kind of uh, a party jam, not just upbeat. But, I mean, he certainly went out and said that it's stuff that would be fun to perform live. Mm-hmm. Um, but also things that you could put on at a party to get people up and dancing. I feel like the, not just not just high energy, but stuff to dance to. And this this song certainly starts off that way in terms of tempo. We're looking at, in this one, it seems to be 2-4 time. And, but most of the other tracks following just seem to be seem to be four four, which are very easy to dance to because it's very consistent and it's a very natural sort of thing. And Beck has been known to experiment with tempos in the past, but not not really in any of these these songs here. No. So from the get go, I feel like I feel like he's saying, "Hey, we gotta get up and dance. Let's dance, <laughs> dance, everybody, dance, dance." Yeah. Uh, I do like a lot of the cool the vocal effects that they have, uh, particularly during the course. I think there's a lot of uh, like uh, definitely a lot of production work done on on his voice in this track for sure. Or actually, in, in, in kind of all the tracks, but but yeah, but, but we're still on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so moving to track two at that point, and you had noted that, and I've noted in the past, the track two is kind of the coveted track position because it can kind of make or break your album. Yeah, you hooked him with the first song, but I mean, like, are you going to keep it going with the second song or are you going to lose your audience, right? Uh-huh. And in Seventh Heaven, uh, I feel that he outright has kept the energy going and has said, you know what, I'm, I wasn't lying with that first track. Uh-huh. This is a party party album. Uh, this one, though, this is where I started to feel the kind of the vision of the album in that this is super 80s inspired. Super 80s pop inspired in a big, big way. There's an addicting quality to the way that the percussion is performed in that, you know, it's got that... It sounds like a drum machine, and there are people credited for percussion, and I'm not sure when we get, like, at, at some, it's based on the track, right? At which which times we're getting just, like, drum samples, or which time we've got someone behind a set. Uh, but it's it's got that sort of, like, hand clap sound to it. You know, that, that was really big in the 80s when you could play the drums and it sounded like people clapping their hands and sort of thing right yeah. and that's that's what he's chosen to do with his uh to keep his melody going and um through through and through it's a fairly typical pop song format uh but beck's a smart guy and i feel like it was deliberate i feel like this is uh this was um his way of saying okay this is what my album is going to sound like this is the format of my album uh, yeah, I feel like we already get a sense of this album's aesthetic. The guitar sounds of this song actually remind me of um, the early days, circa 2002, um, Minus the Bear. 
<laughs> when they had that sort of double tap sound that was very prominent in their uh, highly refined pirates album. Mm. Um, just I, I was trying to it was it was it's striking this familiar chord in my head. I'm like, where have I heard this sound before? And I finally narrowed it down, and it was it was uh, minus the bear. Uh, not obviously so. Like it doesn't sound like it's a ripoff, but it just just something about the way it's produced and the way it it sounds. Uh, it just rings that bell bell for me. So the guitar solo partway through is actually really unique and, and very refreshing. It's more subtle than usual. I think like a lot of a lot of guitar solos, it's all like very high register and it's like but this one is it's complicated, it's confident and precise, but there's something a lot more subtle about it. So it it doesn't overwhelm the track and that's kind of uh it just struck me as very a very unique decision for that uh, for that particular. I don't know, for something that's usually very um, prominent. I think it's a really enjoyable uh, pop song. Uh, and personally, I think that this would have made a much better intro to the show, Seventh Heaven, than, uh, <laughs> than the one that they picked. I gotta say, they really, really dropped the ball there. Um, <laughs> his vocals have um, kind of a live echoey quality mm-hmm. that serves... like During the verses, he's got kind of the deeper register that he's using. And I think that it serves that very, very well. Just kind of going going to the deeper sound, there's that echoiness that I think really works for this particular track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the first, uh, first comparison that I make whenever Beck is layering his vocals, I think it's epitomized by Gamma Ray off of Modern Guilt. There was so, so much vocal production there, and it sounded so good. And I think that's that's something that he really likes to tinker with. He likes to tinker with his instrumentation. He likes to tinker with his vocals. And that transitions into track number three, I Am So Free. This is the part where, where I start to wonder about how the percussion is being done. Because at the beginning of this track, I thought for sure just doing like a drum machine sort of thing. Or even right. just like having, it's like, you know, put in that percussion track and then just ignore it and let it go. But then by the end, I was like, oh, hold on a second. The way this is going, this sounds like he's he's just at the drums. It sounded, honestly, the way he's hitting the hi-hat and stuff and closing out, I was like, no, he's definitely at the drums. So maybe using both? I don't know. Or maybe there's just something about the way they produce the drums at this point that have made it sound super electronically produced, mm-hmm. you know? I was I was totally confused by this. That vocal layering, that echo, that, that production work you were talking about in the last track, he's doing it again here in, in such a huge, huge way. The, But I have conflicting feelings about this song because, in part because the pre-chorus is, it, like the, gar, the guitar, guitar comes in a little bit heavier, which is fine, but then he does that sort of like rap style that Beck does in there. Mm-hmm. And ordinarily, I'm totally fine with that. So, um, like with like songs like Hell Yes off of Guero, I'm fine with it. But I don't know. I didn't feel like it actually serviced this song particularly well. I mean, the the song felt you know uh, a little more, a little more on the introspective side, a little more on the rock side. Uh, and then his pre-course is just him doing his his sort of, well you know I got to do my little Beck rap. It's my little Beck rap. A little Beck rap. But a Beck rap. Pancake day. Uh, and so I, I have ultimately mixed feelings on this album in, or on this song in part because like the I there were definitely needed to be a transition between the verses and the chorus because the chorus is so much heavier than the verses are. So you definitely need a pre-chorus. You need something. I'm not 100% convinced that the pre-chorus he chose 
was best suited for the song. Well, here's a question. Do you think it may have been better if it just had no vocals at all? Yes. Okay, so they, like maybe that's the solution. Yeah, possibly. I also have kind of mixed feelings about the song as well. Um, while not terrible, it I feel like it has more potential than it lets show. And much of that is uh, the guitar work is made to sound kind of gritty. But after, but actually, if you listen to the track, it, it kind of sounds sterile, and it's a bit it's a bit too produced and polished to be gritty. And so I feel like it doesn't doesn't really if if it aims for rock. It kind of misses. It falls flat. It sounds too poppy to be rock, but at the same time, like there's, the it sounds to me like there's moments where the intention is there. Mm-hmm. There's this intent of intent of ja 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 ja, and maybe this song would have been better if it actually like embraced that a little bit more. Like actually, what was more than willing to go go kind of like in a deeper, uh, heavier. Um, direction because I know he can do that as well because he did that in in Epro. I feel like the, like he embraced that really kind of hard like gritty edge edgy rock but while still mixing in his quirkiness absolutely and and it worked out really really well other aspects of the song do work like there's a vocal choir sound in the bridge um, which m- might have made for like a cool juxtaposition with some of the cool thick guitar rock sounds. Like, I don't know if it's him producing his vocals to sound like a bunch of people singing in a higher register, yeah. or if it's if he actually brought in a bit of a choir. Um, and it could be either. It really could be. It's, it's a little hard to tell because, again, it's very produced, mm-hmm. so it's it, it kind of uh, blurs things up a little bit. Um, but it would have been cool to have to have some sounds like that, like a choir sound, kind of, you know, juxtaposed against an edgier rock sound. I think that would have been something that he uh, he could have done and could have done, pulled off successfully because he's back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but obviously, though, that's not the song that we have. It's a different song than, than what I guess we, other than what I was hoping for. Uh, and it's not bad, but it already feels like it carries a very similar vibe from the previous tracks. And I'm kind of, at this point, I'm already getting a little bit like, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder. Then we transition into track number four, Dear Life, and you actually just made the same immediate observation that I have in word number one. We got a bit of honky-tonk going on with that piano. <laughs> Opens with some honky-tonk piano. Yeah, some, uh, and uh, the song structure reminds me of an Elton John song, but only just... Only just marginally, like okay. it's, it's it's not an it is not an Elton John song, but in terms of the structure and and uh, the emphasis on the piano, there is a lot of Elton John influence in here. But that being said, this is an area that Beck has gone into before with uh, with piano and stuff. He's he's never been afraid to uh, d- delve into uh, piano work, and of course, it's, it's it's very familiar territory. Honest, the thing that stood out to me the most was that the music parallels the lyrics in this. In that the music stumbles, much in the same way that, that he talks about stumbling. That there comes points in the chorus where instead of like continuing on as you'd expect, there's like a sudden drop, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's difficult to explain, but the, the, when, as you're listening to music, you, you hear and you kind of feel it go down and then come back up again. And now that's me, that's stuff that Beck does really, really well. And it's super interesting to me. It's, it's, it's making the song unified under one cohesive theme. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, it's nice. It's, it's kind of just a nice touch when 
you feel like there's uh, some intention behind uh, the musical choices other than just like how it sounds but also like how it works in regards to the the actual content of the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, obviously I noted the Hunky Dunk Piano and it's a welcome change in sound from the tracks that we got before. It's a shame that um, later, as the, as the song kind of progresses, I find that it gets a bit drowned out as the song goes. But the song does have kind of like the most classic Beck feel, I'd say, out of this, um, out of the, the collection of songs on here mm. with, um, you know, strongly pronounced drums. Um, and the, like the rhythm, like the bass as well, the whole rhythm section, it's very staccato. It's very, very jaggedy sounding. And, and it just, it does kind of match stuff that you would hear in like Odele or Wero. So yeah, it, it, it's, this one kind of fits right nicely in the Beck catalog. Although it does also keep consistent with this album's vision, which is, uh, you know, consistent in like kind of how the drums are produced and how the vocals are produced primarily, um, because yeah, the 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 vocals I find how it's produced is one of the defining features of this album more and more as as I go through it. Mm-hmm. We move into track five, no distraction, and this one from the get go, I feel strong influence from the police. And oh yeah, even, I didn't think about that, but now that you mention it, I I can hear that too. Even a bit of Sublime. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some Sublime. So there's definitely uh, reggae influences. And I think, uh, what they call it, uh, codfish reggae? Codfish. I think in the, in the UK. Uh, yeah, that, that was their <laughs> okay, that was their thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but then again, these are, these are influences. This isn't a police song. This isn't a Sublime song. But the influences are, are pretty strong. And, and in absolute fairness, that sort of resurgence of uh, new wave reggae was extremely popular in the 80s, and it was part of the 80s pop landscape. There was also a fairly typical pop convention that I'm starting to notice uh, is in a lot of these songs, and that's the the pre-chorus build, where you get your verse, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then we're going to get to our chorus, but first we're going to start down low, and it's going up higher, and it's, we're going over here, and then it's into the chorus. <laughs> and we're going to hear this in a lot of these songs and stuff. And yeah. um, and I'm, I'm sorry for anybody who didn't notice it, because you are going to notice it now going forward yeah, uh, yeah, well, in many pop songs. You know, it's, it's, it's a convention that kind of works, because it kind of pulls you in, because you're like, oh, where are we going? Where are we going? Ah, we're going to the chorus. But he employs it a lot in this in this album, and this song was the first time where I was just like, "Hold on a second, okay, I'm hearing it a lot now." Yeah, that, 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 I know exactly what you mean. Uh, there's that that pre-chorus thing that it does strike a lot of very familiar chords, uh, almost literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I heard it as well. I feel like yeah, this is this is kind of a cool. It's got a cool summer slash beach vibe to it. Um, which is cool, and it's again, it's a little bit different um, than some of the stuff before. Um, the guitar has a bit of a surfer edge to it, mm. but 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 at the same time, it's not surf guitar. So it's I don't know exactly how that works, but in my mind, I just kind of imagine a surfy <laughs> surfiness to it. So I don't know where this song excels is there's uh there's the lead up to the chorus actually, mm-hmm. um, and that again it has a familiar ring to it. But the dramatic wind-up is pretty compelling. Mm, sure. Well, that's that's why it's a popular pop convention. Yeah. Because that's what it's good for. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. And But um, what kind of sets it 
sets the bar a little higher for it, or, or rather, what what sets it I think above, sort of like just just the cliche, is that there's some really cool synth stuff happening underneath it, mm-hmm. and uh, especially if you listen to it with some good headphones, you're like ooh, that's this like that's that's starting to hit a real sweet spot, and then I kind of wish it went into something more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the the course itself is a little flimsy. Hmm. Yeah, it's just no distraction, no distraction, and it's like, oh, that's it, and and which is a shame because I feel like the courses have been some of the strongest work in the album so far up until this point, but this this course I just feel the, the hook it doesn't work for me. Um, it, it it's not like terrible, but I just feel like there's not a lot behind it, um, because yeah, again up to the point it, it was pretty solid, but. Yeah, this so this 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 isn't a bad song, but I think that it's um, I don't know some some of the cracks are showing. The version of Dreams that we have on this album is not the single version. However, no. if you're listening on Spotify, uh, they include the single version at the end. Yes, um, I would say not that different. No, I I listened to the two back to back, and yeah. this one just strikes me as more production. Yeah, it's, it's just polished yeah. Yeah. differently, but it's yeah. the the it, it hits all the same beats. It hits all, it's basically the same. I have on my iTunes the version that came with the download from the vinyl, mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't have the second dreams on it. Mm. And I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. No, but it's good that dreams is on here as as you know because it's well it's a single. So mm-hmm. I feel like dreams. At its inception was a funk track mm-hmm. that became a little diluted into far more typical rock and pop. But at its core, um, there there was a strong homage to what made funk so contagious, and you know, in the in the sharp bass and the uh, the driving beats and Beck's Beck's lyrics complementing that, and his his vocal stylings complementing that. But but there is a bit of delusion. Delusion. Uh, it's it's a bit diluted, though. It is a bit diluted, down. Um, the most interesting thing is about three minutes, and there's a significant tempo change where she goes down, and it's almost like intentionally sluggish, kind of like you know where you're in that state on the verge of waking up, and you're you're kind of like slogging through trying to like regain consciousness or go back to sleep, whichever. And then about thirty seconds later, then goes right back into the into the usual tempo. That that I found interesting. I love stuff like that. That's that means is super super interesting. Uh, so big fan of that. Um, all in all, we're we're there's a bit more of those kind of quirky sound effects that was kind of promised to us with colors. Like so, this this track kind of delivers on that, but that makes sense in a way because, like I said, it was the first single, right? So if your first single is going to represent what your album sounds like and what your album is about, then I mean, I mean, in an ideal world, anyways, then yeah, then it is going to deliver on the promises made by the first track, unless you've made your first single your first track. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and so that's yeah. So in a lot of ways, colors and dreams. Also, they seem like companion songs. They seem like possibly the most related songs on the album. Yeah, they kind of accomplish uh, the same thing, but for but in a different way. Like sort of laying the groundwork for what the listener should be expecting. Uh, only one is as the first track, and the other one is as the first single. I actually didn't hear this song as a single. I don't recall hearing it on the radio or anything at all. No. Uh, I mean, you say that it actually did pretty well, but uh, that's news to me. Uh, the first song I heard off of this was Wow. Um, and I I actually listen to that one quite frequently so but if I were to have heard this song as a single I'd find it very exciting 
Uh, I would say I would say, wow, this is a fun new direction for Beck. I like this sound. I like how it's produced. I like what uh, what I'm hearing, and I want to hear the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but where it is in the album, I feel like it gets a little lost in the shuffle hmm. because it kind of lays the expectations for the album. That also means that kind of like what's happened before has already been done, or what happens in this song has already been done before. And so, like, it's all the same kind of, like, same produ- production on the drums and the same production on the vocals. And, I mean, it's a good song in its own right. I wouldn't take that away from it. Um, and the uh, the, solid, the hook is solid. I think it's really good and very memorable. But there isn't a lot that sets it apart. Except, as you mentioned, there's that, that part near the end with the huge tempo change. Um, I call it, like, the uh, the psychedelic moment of the album <laughs> um which i think is and you know that is something that's really noteworthy and that is worth acknowledging that it's there to kind of to kind of give this song a, a unique energy and so uh, it kind of saves the song from just kind of getting lost in the crowd mm-hmm. but you know kind of thinking about it as a lead single i think it was a, it was a good choice so yeah i'd say mostly good just i guess it's just maybe not ideally placed in the album or maybe it's a reflection of some of the flaws in the album as a whole that it's that it does get lost because i mean i kind of feel like it shouldn't Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. transitioning into track seven wow 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 (laughs) (laughs) present in this song is it appears to be some form of a flute or something like it although again i could not find anyone credited with playing the flute in the album, so we may be just dealing with uh, with this with um, a synth effect. We have what I've coined a spaghetti western song. <laughs> in that okay, it, okay. it goes to great pains to uh, to demonstrate a sort of a, a western frontier vibe to the song, but has you know so much spit and polish that you know you know it's not really a, it's not really a, a sort of a western or country song <laughs> or anything like that. It's just. It's it's still a pop song. It's, it kind of starts uh, starts minimalist, which is interesting because min- there's not. I like minimalist songs, but it's can they start adding more and more things to it and and layering it. And a part of me also wonders, just based on on the banality of the lyrics, is it is this like a stoner song? It's a bit maybe a bit of a stoner song. So there's a lot going on in here, and I might even argue there's a little too much going on in here. To be honest, for 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 a track like this, he's wanted to jam a lot in. My initial comparison to a song like this would be "Hell Yes," which kind of has a similar vibe to it, where it's it's kind of a little it's a little on the minimalist side, and there's a lot of wonky things going on in there. <laughs> yeah, right. But the problem with that comparison is that "Hell Yes." was far more experimental that there were there was stuff put in that was just that to like the modern pop audience would just be like you know you kind of have a hard time like hearing it on the radio sort of thing because it's just it gets kind of weird and um oh strange random noises kind of put in um whereas this one it, it's doesn't it dances the line of experimentation but it doesn't it doesn't plunge in you know it's it's pulls back and tries to stay within within the the vision of the album within this uh this this pop album right and i think in part because cole mgn this was his only like real 
contribution to the album, contribution in production. So that may be one of the reasons why it's it has a bit of a disjointed feeling to it. Um, because certainly Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti is in a lot of ways very, very unconventional. And so, and Beck in a lot of ways is super, super unconventional. Uh, but Greg Kirsten, on the other hand, is not. He's, he's a master of convention. So I feel like there was more of a war between convention and unconventional, between pop and experimental in the song. And so at the end, I was I was like, you know, there was a lot of great things going on in the song, but mm, I wanted it to go that extra, you know, that extra distance. Yeah, I can kind of see what you mean in that maybe it doesn't quite fulfill its potential, but I do, I do like Wow. 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 I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay, that's got to be an inevitable, like... YouTube video of someone just like subbing in Owen Wilson's wow <laughs> for every wow in the song <laughs> that's gotta happen I, 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 th- I think personally mm-hmm. but I mean I, I guess it's just refreshing because it felt like something that was really different in the album mm-hmm. I guess maybe it's one of the soundtracks just almost specifically for that reason because yeah it doesn't sound like it, it doesn't sound really like anything else uh, any of the other songs on here um, there's not loads of lyrical substance I'll say that but I do I, you know the hook's memorable um, you know, obviously, actually, very memorable. I mean, how do you how do you forget that? Wow! I said right now. You know, <laughs> that's that's the stoner component. Yeah, I, I suppose it is, isn't it? But you know, I, I but there's something kind of uh, nice about the things that it does accomplish, and that it's sort of like got this sort of Middle Easterny kind of vibe, um, but it's also psychedelic, and it's also kind of a hip hop track. That's a lot to squeeze into like four odd minutes, though. Eh? It is though, yeah. but uh, I mean, but I, I kind of, uh, I mean, I, I could think of worse attempts. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair. You know, like I, I feel like it does the job pretty well. Like yeah, but at the same time, I do agree that you know, like maybe it could even be better. But what I will say is that the um, there's a bridge in here mm. that has this uh, this where they kind of brings in this this piano, and I think that's kind of where. The song is at its best, and it's it's not even just any piano. It reminds me of like, you know, those old pubs where you know there's a piano player and, uh, you know, like it's kind of a cartoon convention. Yeah. You know, like it's not really like a. Not, I don't know if, it, if pubs were ever really like that, but you know, there's there's a piano player who. Um, maybe maybe like a tavern. Yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah, that kind of thing. There's a bit of that vibe in that in that bridge that I think is is kind of this really nice has a nice like little layer to it that that I don't know that works for me. I don't know if this is a song that you would want to say wow to, <laughs> but I think it I think it's pretty cool and I and I do like that uh, at least where it's placed in the album and that is something that's a little different. Oh, that's fair. So there's that. Track number eight, up all night, might be my favorite track on the album. This one also kind of toes the line with experimental. There's a lot of experimental sounds uh, for vocal modulation, for uh, for tempo. It, it toes the line, but I feel it toes the line a little bit better in dancing with electronic. And it's more consistent throughout it. Uh, and although it does the, the that's usual, the as I mentioned before, the, the pre-course build-up sort of thing, I find that the, the energy and that the enthusiasm behind this song are, is so contagious that, you know, it's, it's one of those tracks that uh, that's, you can imagine being put on and, like, instantly wanting to, like, to get up and dance to. I think this one uh, really succeeds in, in the vision of the album. I think this is one of, one of the highlights of the album that really shows that sort of, that sort of uh, 
get up and dance and celebrate the, the conventions of pop music for, for all their highlights. I, I felt like Up All Nights really, really grasped that and, and really, um, really seized it and, and made it. And, and, and it came at a great point in the album, too. I felt, you know, because this is the wind down part of the album, you know? This is the part of the album where, you know, um, you know... It's sometimes yeah. a, a danger of, like, really losing traction. Sure, it's like someone puts an album on from the start, and then, you know, then, you know, they got things to do, and they kind of slowly start to tune out the album. This would be at that point. I mean, I gotta say, like, lines in the chorus, like, I'm gonna be up all night with you, that's pretty cliche. That's <laughs> <laughs> 100%. 100% cliche. Very, very cliche. 100%. But at least the music carrying it is pretty great, particularly that chorus. It's a good hook. Uh, like this, it's probably one of the best chorus hooks that the album's got in its uh, in its belt. Even if the verses are actually fairly forgettable, um, say for some, there's some choice moments, a few times during the the verses where there is um, a subtle a subtle violin accompaniment. I almost feel like this song would have benefited if those had like a stronger presence. Um, the, but it's all very subtle. It's all in the background. It seems like it's this, it's this kind of unique sound that's, that's held, held back mm -hmm. that would have maybe benefited the song if it was, if it was allowed to be more prominent, but as it is, it's a little bit drowned out. And, um, and the, so the, the emphasis is, I feel kind of misdirected in the song at times and that, um, I mean, it's fine for a three minute pop song. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's, it's a, it you know gets the job done and it gets in there yeah you move your body to do it and it's really fun and it's got a good hook, but part of me is kind of like oh there's there's a few opportunities in this uh, in this track to have made it even better and I'm kind of I'm kind of I feel it's unfortunate that they weren't taken hmm. so yeah because the strings they sound good and as and it doesn't seem like something that Beck does too often but they were there. And they weren't used as well as they could have been. <laughs> so, which is interesting because there are there are actually people credited on strings in in all music. So I think they legit used strings. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So yeah, well, it's I almost mean, too bad. You bring them out, guys. Yeah. Why not bring bring like why not bring them out? Yeah. You know? Like you, yeah, it's a good it. choice. And plus, there's also opportunity too in that like um, certainly in the seventies and the eighties, there was a convention to have a. Um, the strings used for di for a sort of a disco effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean that that certainly was a pop convention at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we come into track number nine, square one. Like we're back on back to square one. Square one is where I felt that the album started to get tired. Some of the the things that you were saying about the last song, I really was was starting to feel here, in that there wasn't really much new brought to the table. There was an interesting bridge, sure. But in terms of how the, the verse chorus structure and the high energy sort of dancey poppy stuff, at this point in the album, I thought we needed maybe something a little bit, a little more. We needed a, uh, maybe a little more electronic or maybe, or maybe experimental or, or, or something. And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this, the song is, is the shortest one on the album, perhaps rightly so. Because I didn't feel like it was really bringing anything new to the table at this point. And I feel at this point in the album, why not? Your album's almost finished, right? Like, if you're paying attention to your track order, why not kind of throw something, something a little more interesting here at the end? Something, something a little a little more different here at the end. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, you might as well 
tread uh, some unfamiliar territory. You, you know, you allow yourself to be experimental, especially since, you know, it's back. Yeah. It's not like he has not allowed himself to be experimental before. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a good song in its own right. It's got some cool ideas. So the chords in the chorus are actually the one of the most interesting parts of the song in that I feel like there's this... Uh, counterintuitive progression to them. Hmm. Um, they sort of subtly defy listener expectations in that it, it, there's... Like, the, the song itself is going through familiar motions, but there's just a few chords that are just different than what you would think they would be. And I think that that's sort of like one of the, the, the small refreshing things about the song that, um, yeah, that really work for me. And in the end, there's some very compelling synthesizer work or actually, or in this case, um, also what sounds like I, I wrote metallophone, but apparently it's Glockenspiel. Ah. Um, there's a, some some Glockenspiel at the end that um, that is I just love that sound. I just think it's a I great missed, sound. I missed that entirely. I think I think I had kind of started kind of uh, you know um, fading out at that by that point. Yeah, I, uh-huh, I, feel, okay. I feel bad now. Okay. No, 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 I just I just have a weakness for that kind of sound. I think it's sure. really great. It reminded me of. Um, uh, the Young Machines, the, the song from yeah, the Tom Track, Day, yeah, um, which is which is a song I really love, and uh, it was just kind of it was nice to hear. Then, um, but the problem again is that um, the track suffers from some of the problems of previous tracks, and uh, and that it's it's just a little overproduced and it sounds a lot like the other songs, mm. and just where it is in the album, it is a little tired, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, there's there's it's got moments that kind of set it apart and that make it really compelling, but I feel like Maybe as an individual song, it would be better than as a song uh, in the album where it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are my those are my thoughts. Uh, we close out on "Fix Me," which is the only song that is a hundred percent Beck. There's there's no contributions from any other performer or producer, and that makes a degree of sense because this is a fairly stripped down acoustic guitar track mm-hmm. a throwback to slower more contemplative albums like sea changes or morning face and on the one hand great that's, that's makes sense we're winding down we're also doing what what was my complaint in the last song it, uh, it was more the same this one doing sign a little different this is beck he's you know he's sitting there with his with his guitar there's still production so it's not like unplugged or anything but uh so yeah absolutely closing out Doing something a little different, perhaps a, a time to reflect back, one might say, on on what has been going on in the album. Uh-huh. On the other hand, <laughs> I just kind of get excited behind the song. Not like excited, like woo, yeah, but just as in like something to latch on to, you know, something something that I could that I could I could identify with, something that I could I could uh, really feel like what the sentiment was, um, and for, and for a song title that's called "Fix Me." You know that that those two words in and of themselves can carry a lot of gravitas, but I don't feel like it was being conveyed. You know, there's there's some songs that that I've listened to where it's just like um, Newsboys Fall on You is an excellent example where it's just where it's just holy cow, you really identify with with some of the stuff that goes on in there and you find it super compelling. There was nothing for me to really latch on to in this in this song. So, but I appreciate elements. So, um, uh, hmm, <laughs> very mixed feelings about how this how this album closes out. Yeah, I I think I feel similarly. Uh, my my first thing I wrote, 
Well, at least the song is distinct. <laughs> there you go, right? But I mean, I guess that's not even entirely accurate. It's distinct for this album, but it's not actually that distinct for a Beck song. Um, and uh, and it's well placed in that it really couldn't be anywhere else on the album. Sure. But it's overall just very average, and it really lacks anything overly overly special. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems predictable, and just not that interesting. So uh, at least it's earnest. Mm. If it feels earnest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, just I, it's it's. And the thing is, it's not even bad. No, it's just like it's just a song. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just very average, very, which is okay, you know. It, but you know, it'd be nice to end this album on uh, something a little more memorable. Because if you think like I, that's not usually a problem for back ending off an album. Bring the strings in here. Yeah, those strings. Bring them in here. I'm just trying to think of uh, you know like. The information. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the name of that's. That's it was, really long. Like it incorporated elements from all the all the yeah. past songs, but it did something new with them, right? It it felt yeah. it felt very dark. It felt very poetic. I just think that's like one of the best one of the best album closers because it's just this really like completely uh, engrossing. Um, like reflective experience of like what the whole album was like, and yeah. it's like, wow, like. Uh, like mind blowing stuff, I I think, but uh, but yeah, nothing anywhere near that caliber here for the album closer. Yeah. Uh so overall, I feel that this is a pop album. This is not an experimental album. That's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, Beck does what Be- what Beck is feeling, right? But it is not just a pop album. It's a, it's a tribute to the pop that Beck seems to love, and that is eighties pop. In, in all of its forms, whether you're going for Debbie Gibson sort of style or New Wave, or this is more of a tribute to that sort of general general sound. Beck's madcap lyrics, where you're like, what the heck is he talking about, are all but gone in favor of more typical songwriting. Um, you know, uh, Affairs of the Heart, you know, one might say. That, that seems to be what a, a lot of this was. Or about, like about the energy of feeling alive, of, of wanting to go out and dance and wanting to celebrate life and wanting to, to go and do things. Whereas in some of the past albums, you listen to lyrics and it's, it's like, does he just have a random word generator? Uh, what, what, does, what does this stuff mean? Uh, and that's, that's, that, and that is a very distinct aspect of Beck's songwriting. It is, it's something that's, you know, that he is known for. So to, for it to be basically missing does stand out, whether it's for better or for worse. I miss the experimentation. I miss some of the, uh, the electronic elements, for sure. E- going in, I do look for those moments where I'm like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I look for those moments when I'm for a Beck album. Mm, didn't really feel that so here. Exceptionally well-produced. Very, very well-produced. Not, not to the point where it sounds and feels plastic, but to the point where it brings out his, his instrumentation. It brings out his voice. It, it, it really, like... It's a, it's a super high production value. And it treads that line between sounding fake and just maximizing, you know, the potential of, of, of his instrumentation. It, all in all, it does. It sounds good. It has a consistent energy. It's a great, it's a great dancey album. I'm sure it will sound awesome live. I'm sure about it. That was what he wanted to do. He wanted to have an album that would sound great live. I think it will. I would love to see the stage show that incorporates this and throws in a couple other of the of the favorites uh, from the past. You know, uh, with can you imagine 
a songs from this album and you throw in some like sex laws in with it oh man that'd be great that'd be a great live show however it does seem that no real woodwinds were harmed during the production of this <laughs> album knowing what beck is capable of and has done and based on how i felt listening to this album i'm gonna give it a 3.66 Oh, 3.66 yeah I think it's ironic that Colors an album named Colors mm. is one of Beck's less colorful albums mm. and as far as sound variation goes it's got a very it's got a great energy one of the things that this album has going for it is this terrific energy where you can get up and have fun and listen to music and and just and it's really enjoyable like it's it's on on a very surfacey level it is a great pop album from uh, from most starts to mostly finish, let's say, <laughs> um, and it's a very it's a distinct vision, and I agree that it'd probably make very a very good live live songs, and it's and it's a very distinct album as far as like stuff that he's done. He hasn't done an album like this before. It is mm. it is unique in his catalog, um, but it is imperfect, and I, I'm going to disagree with you respectfully Uh-oh. because I feel like. One of the imperfections is that it's cleaned and sanitized. Mm. It's all processed to sound the same, and it's be- it's it's it was cool at first, but it it started to show its cracks as a weakness in the long run. I think um, it was it was good for the sprint, but not the long distance dash. So what we have is a lot of good songs that work well as good pop songs, but as an album, um, start to lose their personality. And it doesn't need to, because as I as I stated as uh, talking about a lot of these tracks, is that a lot of these songs had elements thrown in, whether it was a string section, a glockenspiel, a really cool guitar effect. Um, there were unique elements all through these songs that were drowned out in um, very thick drum percussion uh, production and uh, very layered and processed vocal styles that were just dominated everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so it's this kind of, in some ways it's a missed opportunity. And uh, unfortunately, I want to put a lot of it on, on Greg Kirsten. <laughs> I think so, I think so. Um, Legitimately, I, th- I agree. Because I, I look at his, I kind of looked at his catalog, and he's, got, he's produced some good albums. Like, I, I really liked his work on the Shins Port of Moro. But I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, there's this sort of, Overpolishedness that I think uh, is to the detriment of the album because if when I think of some of Beck's best albums like Odelay, Wero, The Information, Midnight Vultures, is that the songs you would never mix them up. Hmm. Um, you would never you would never be uncertain as to like which one is which, and that's first this album being only ten tracks. The fact that that can kind of happen. I think is um, is unfortunate. Although you know, to be fair though, not that much. Like it's. I mean, I I, I do feel like I, I kind of made a really bad case for the album, but <laughs> but like I, I kind of that does sound like a little bit vicious. But but I mean, but at the same time, it is the album is a good time. It's not like it's a it's a bad investment of your time, and it, and it's not like it's really that long either. So at least it's smart enough to to know that these are these are short pop songs and so it's a kind of a short pop album it gets the job done but i guess yeah i did i do usually have higher hopes for a beck album but at the same time this i would prefer to listen to this one over like one of those really slow beck albums <laughs> <laughs> so like it's it's not really it's not it's not top tier beck but it's also not bottom tier beck so 
take that for what it is. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling like a three point five. Talk yourself down. <laughs> I was yeah, well. I was. I you see, I was literally dancing. Maybe it's 3.25. And they're like, well, I don't know. I kind of like this. Maybe three. And then I'm like, well, I'll meet it in the middle. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> so so 3.5 is what I'm going to settle on. And so here I am uh, constantly talking about how I feel this is a uh, an 80s pop tribute album. Yeah. I guess that kind of then brings up the issue of like what an ideal sort of 80s tribute album kind of uh, like what that form should take. And also like... How to do it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. my first my first couple comparisons, and unfortunately, ones that did it better. First one is Moby's Last Night, which, if you recall, in the past, I've spoken about how Moby is, was able to like keep that energy going. But he also did a lot of things. And then at the end, he did have a couple wind-down tracks, but mm-hmm. they were... They were very sentimental, and there was there was something very engaging about them. You know, if, if this is my last night, you know, a very 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 touching album, and then as well, uh, Neon Indians Vega International Night School. Yeah, as yeah. well. Um, very very eighties. Yeah, yeah. The, these guys these these guys they they took their inspirations and they 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 wore them on their sleeves and they showcased how how it influenced their music and they they kind of wanted to give back to that. But I felt that they did it far more successfully, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, where is that line, I guess, ultimately? Like, where where is the line? I mean, we don't want to be derivative of the source material, but you want people to know what the source material is. I mean, I guess, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. Like, are you looking for something that is, like, definitely 80s tribute? Like, Vega International High School, there's no question. Like, it... it there's some modern production stuff going on, but it is without question very, very eighties dance or uh, inspired. Mm. Where Beck's colors, it's, it's I think it's a little more subtle. I think it is actually it feels very much it feels very modern in a lot of ways. You can hear the influences, but at the same time, there is something very distinctly modern about it. I think that there is something we said for having 80s influences but also like being distinct of uh, of part of your own time as well mm-hmm. I, I mean I, I guess I guess it depends on what you want <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I guess the reason the reason why I, I bring it all up ultimately is just like I felt like although last night's uh, Moby's last night is, is more about I guess early 90s no late yeah. 80s early 90s I would say more early 90s myself or it just Almost more inspired by uh, the early '90s, like dance scene, more than a particular era of music. But that's just it, though. Right there is that it's done so successfully. It it doesn't feel derivative. It it has echoes of the time period, but it is a very a, very obviously a Moby album, uh, and it's it goes through the motions of what a a night in the club scene of that time was like. Without sounding like he's just putting on the old records and so and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and um, I mean both Beck and Moby are very experienced musicians, and I'm wondering if it has to do with with um, like 
when you said it was the the production the production work, mm-hmm. notably you know Greg Kirsten's production work, because Ariel Pink's Honda Graffiti takes a lot of pages from the seventies and the eighties, mm-hmm. but Greg Kirsten's work you look through it, it's it's just it's modern pop acts. Yeah, and I don't want again I'm not knocking it, but I feel part of this this album's flaws is that it's it failed to real like to fully encapsulates encapsulate the the, the vision. So. Part of it maybe is um, is also like what they're aiming for. Like in this case, I don't know if Beck was aiming for a certain. Well, I guess he you said he was seems like he wanted something that he could play live and he and and um, and something that stuff that would work well on the dance floor and, and things like that. But it's almost like a very broad vision. Yeah, where Moby, for example, was a very specific vision. It was very, uh, it was very much about a time in his life and a certain scene and a certain, and and as such, like he captured all of the moods, all of the all of the nuances of that particular of that very specific thing, um, and it wasn't just it wasn't just him reaching for a genre and wanting to be like I'm gonna pull from new wave, because mm. I'm pulling from my experience with this music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So then, let's use that logic then. Let's go back to Vega International Night School, where mm-hmm. uh, Alan Palomo was not old enough to to have have True. been been a teenager or a young adult in that time. Um, but certainly, I mean, he had uh, musical experience. Like he undoubtedly grew up on some of the stuff. But you know, he it wasn't it wasn't uh, the the fresh stuff. Uh, of the time for him, mm. but yet he was still able to he was still able to to pay a strong homage to it, and and uh, and incorporate a very what what I felt to be a very successful look back at that time period. Not saying that the album is without flaws because it certainly is, but mm. is it is it then about production or is it then about the artist's vision? Maybe production because if you think about both Neon Indian and Moby, they were entirely self-produced albums. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anyone else anyone else meddling with the with the vision. Where here, Greg Kirsten was a big influence on the album and, and left it like a, a significant stamp. But at the same time, um, maybe with Vega International Night School, though, that was also a little more specific. And that I, I feel like it was a very, like very specific aesthetic that he was going for. Mm-hmm. Like something that was very much, almost like more 80s than the 80s were, actually. <laughs> you know? Like kind of like... A hyperbolized 80s? Like, like, like because he wasn't actually there, he has nothing but like rose-tinted glasses mm. for that particular era. He just, he just puts them on... And it was like, oh, that's, it was this magical time <laughs> when, when everything was so pure and ridiculous. <laughs> so maybe like the musical version of that uh, that damn movie, Miami... Um, um, Miami Connection? Yeah. Or, no, because Miami Connection was the real deal. Uh, more, more like Kung Fury. <laughs> Kung Fury. Yeah. No, you're right, Kung Fury, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's, yeah, that, that's basically... Vega International High School is the Kung Fury uh, <laughs> <laughs> of music. <laughs> uh, where you are, yeah, where where uh, Miami Miami Connection. This is a, if for those who don't know, this is a really goofy B movie that kind of had a resurgence in popularity uh, in recent years. Um, I think around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. 
and or maybe even later than that actually. I think it was a little later. Yeah, twenty twelve ish. I want to say. After like a couple decades of being ignored because of uh, it came out in the eighties and it was just this this was ignored like no one heard of it, no one saw it, no one cared because they didn't get it because it was because they were all they were in the eighties so <laughs> they didn't understand how ridiculous it was. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, so that but yeah that one was the real deal. I don't know. I guess. I don't know what the musical equivalent is. What something that's what is an album that from the eighties that's just that's just two eighties, right? Ultra boxes, you you box. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, this is this is two eighties. This is two eighties. Oh, there's so much eighties going on in here. No, you're right. Here you go. You know, I, I guess it uh, depends on uh, maybe where the strengths are of the. Of the players, and because um, you know, if you think about Beck, um, there's been a th- always a throwback aspect to his music. Like, for example, in Cell Phones Dead, definitely a strong references to um, Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock, for sure. Time. But there's always been something kind of unique and like modern about his music, and something that's very unique to him. And um, and uh, maybe he just isn't suited to do a really direct throwback. Yeah. And so maybe in in part it's an identity thing, you know what what is Beck's identity? And you know you can you can you can absolutely oppose it and you know fly in the face of it and do something new, but I think if you're going to do that and go against your identity, I think you need to do something really strong. Then you know mm. no 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 half-assing breaking out of your identity, right? Uh, but then why does why would he need to? Because he was so unorthodox anyway. So why go from the unorthodox to the orthodox then? Is the question right? I guess he just had some good pop songs in his head and wanted to um, crank them out. I don't know. <laughs> and, and now, in absolute fairness, it's kind of worked for him again. Like Dreams was his highest charting single since Epro. That's that's thirteen years. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, Ugh, thirteen years. thirteen years. Yeah. No yeah. kidding. So I mean, it's not like he's wrong, really. Maybe maybe you know he made a, a smart move. He says you know what's what does the general music listening audience want to hear? You know, you know what? Or, or maybe, or maybe honestly, he just doesn't care. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he does. He doesn't mind selling records. I'm sure. <laughs> but at this but, point, he doesn't need to. Not really. I assume, unless you blew all your money MC Hammer style there back on like mansions and uh, and uh, music videos. But I doubt <laughs> it. <laughs> but what's nice about Beck, though? And this is something that I think is 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 almost like safe to say mm. is that you never know what his next album is going to be like. It's very true. So one of the things that can keep you coming back to Beck is that at the end of the day, if you don't like one album, you might like the next one for sure. So even though we, we you know, I mean, obviously we didn't we didn't mind colors. No. So regardless. I think that I'm definitely looking forward to whatever Beck has up next for us. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, so I don't think we really know what's what we're going to be doing next episode, to no, be honest. Uh, yeah. Well, what what do we have lined up? But I'm sure it'll be, as usual, nothing but informative and fun and full of our usual educational you know, viewpoints and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I guess uh, I'm going to sign us off for now. Thank you again for listening. And we we, pre- we appreciate any feedback you want to send our way. Again, 
the iTunes reviews, guys. Look us up, Crash Chords Podcast. Rate and review us. It really helps, you know, bring this podcast to other people who who like to talk about music, because you know, music is life, and, and life, life is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate and review us. For more media, also subscribe to the one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of the homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life... And And life life is is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comments board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.